Welcome to Building the Oracle, a podcast about two dudes building a publishing house and film studio from the ground up with nothing more than a virtual hoop, a flame retardant leotard, and a unionized vegan tiger. I'm your host, Jay Swanson. And I'm Richard Bilkey. And speaking of flame retardant, today's guest is the hottest morning host in San Diego, California, Rick Morton. Uh, don't bury the lead there, Jay. This is recorded on your recent trip to San Diego to visit your family. So this bonus episode actually features our first female co-host, your sister, Karen. She did a wonderful job filling in my shoes and uh, well done, Karen. Yeah, she did a great job. She was mildly abusive of the soundboard. Uh, she tried to add as many effects as she could. Uh, and you'll hear those as we go because we've been trying to avoid putting those in you too much. You don't let me anywhere near the soundboard. <laughs> I do not let anyone near it, but she was sitting right next to me. Karen did a fantastic job. She's a lovely human being and you should check her out on Instagram, Karen's K. A-A-R-I-N-S if you want to follow her uh, adventures after this episode. But yeah, uh, we had a great time. I met Rick when he was on his honeymoon here in Paris and uh, him and his lovely wife were having a grand old time and we were sitting on the banks of the Seine and he really encouraged me a lot in my own situation, my own story by kind of seeing a little bit of himself in me, a little bit of his own story and uh, letting me know that it was all going to work out to be just fine. And we get into that a little bit in the episode, but I really thought that his story was one that's full of some good cringeworthy moments. He's a wonderful storyteller, fantastic voice. And I really wanted to get an opportunity to share those stories with you because they inspire and encourage me. And for anybody out there who's an aspiring creator, uh, with some entrepreneurial spirit in them, I think we'll glean a lot from Rick's story. Yeah, and there's there's one story in there where I actually had to, when I was listening back to this, I had to stop it and walk away for a bit <laughs> and come back. There is one very cringeworthy story. Oh, in it's there. amazing. Yeah. I, I was sweating yeah. in, in the studio. It's so good. So uh, be prepared for that. But everything else should be, should be right and rosy. And honestly, thanks again to Rick. I know who's listening to this uh, for coming on the show because you added a lot. And I hope that you guys glean some great inspiration from it. Yeah, it's a great episode. We also want to give a big shout out to our newest super patrons. They are Steve, Figures73, and Jane Baker. We're really excited to have you guys on board and can't wait to open up some new perks just for you. More about that in our next episode, though, with Mike Underwood. But before we get to Mike, let's roll on back to our buddy Rick in San Diego, the host of Hey Morton. Hi, and welcome to Building the Oracle. I'm your host, Jay Swanson, and today I'm actually joined by a very special co-host who has no beard. It's the first time we've had a beardless co-host in the short history of this podcast, <laughs> my delightful sister, hello, Karen Howard. Welcome to the show. She <laughs> That was perfectly timed. She's sitting, unfortunately, very close to the sound effect buttons, so if there are any uh, sound effects that happen over the course close. of this. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's my sister. Uh, she's going to be joining me today to talk with uh, one of the hometown heroes of her new hometown in San Diego, Rick Morton. Hey, now. Of Hey Morton, which right. used to be Morton in the morning. Yeah. But he's got a fancy new jacket and everything to prove that that is no longer the case. I got a jacket and it changed the name of my show. You want to know the genesis of that? Is I do, actually. We put a lot of stuff on social media. Yep. It didn't make sense to call it in the morning. It's an interesting part of the digital landscape where, as you know, I do a radio show here in San yeah. Diego. And we decided, you know what? A lot of people aren't listening to us in the morning or live necessarily. It's kind of not a live world anymore. Yeah. And we realized that changed. And you probably noticed this too because you do so much social media. That whole timeline changed when Facebook decided you weren't going to get stuff in real time. You'd get it when they give it to you. And in terms of broadcasting, it changed it for everyone between DVR, yeah. social media, and Facebook doing that. Nothing really, really has to be live. It doesn't have to be, No. no. And then you, what you told me this morning was the reason that the name changed was because you saw a pattern in how people interacted with you when they did call in. Live. Yeah. I always have a real issue. And you don't do this in your social media. And it's one of the reasons I love you. I appreciate You don't that. go, hi, guys. Yeah. Uh, when you get on a YouTube video, when yeah. you're making your, your vlogs, it's not, hi, guys. To me, it's such narcissism to believe that the minute a video pops up, that there's 17 people sitting in bleachers watching it together. Yeah. It's likely one person on a smartphone. So yeah. to say hi, guys. In a lawn chair. Exactly. Or in traffic. Or, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you think to yourself, why are you saying hi? Who's this huge audience you're talking to? Why not just be like, hey, how are you? And a lot of people would call us and say, hey, Morton. And so, hey, Morton was it. So that's the name of our show, Hey, Morton. I love it. That's perfect. If you're in San Diego at any point, you should listen to him in the morning. He's also got some fantastic crank calls that I have a feeling <laughs> we're going to get into at some point. Yeah. But or any time of the day. Any time of the day. You can listen. Yeah, that's right. It's not, you don't have to <laughs> listen right. to him in the morning anymore. No. Just stream him online Thanks, whenever Facebook. you're feeling like it. <laughs> then that's the thing. I met Rick because of my YouTube channel, because he and his lovely wife uh, honeymooned in Paris. And uh, we connected. And for those of you that have ever seen me wearing my bright pair of orange sunglasses, he's the reason that I have those. And as actually, I guess that's at the root then of my little space invader now having 
orange sunglasses too. Rick, you're you're ingrained into that. the ingrained into the lore. Uh, but Rick has a fantastic story, and the reason I thought that it would be really fun to do a uh, bonus pod with him today is not just because he's built for audio and the man's voice is amazing. He has a face for video, but he's got <laughs> the voice for audio. And his story is a really fascinating one that actually gave me uh, some comfort when I met him a couple years ago because this was back when I was still doing tours and. I was doing bike tours at the time still, and I was still yep. kind of hoofing it and uh, just trying to survive. And Rick sat me down on the banks of the Seine, and we had some wine. And he said, Jay, let me tell you, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and then he, he, used his own, he used his own personal, his own personal experience and his story to elucidate that. And I, and I thought that it would be really fun today, uh, even just for me personally. I wanted to sit down and dive into that story because you are thriving in a medium that's dying in radio. And that makes it so much more impressive that you were able to actually jump into it and succeed and, you know, push through to the point that you you're at where you're at today, where you you're, you're talking about iterating and changing things up. But at the same time, just to get to where you are today is a feat of evolutionary prowess. Thanks. Why did you even want to do radio? I, I've heard I've heard some amazing parts of your story, but I have a feeling that there's there's a nugget in there that I don't know. Yeah. yet. I was lucky when I was a little kid. My grandmother was a botanist and she would go lecture. And one time she had to go on an AM radio station and invited me with her. We grew up in Palm Springs, California. So here we are on a station that, by the way, played that. What was that thing you just played, uh, Karen? They played that between the songs of old-timey <laughs> old people music. And my grandmother was going on this radio station to talk about plants. So you could talk about how exciting this was for... I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> now That's it's time, my show. <laughs> now it's time for plant talk. And then you would go ahead and hit the button. Oh. There you go. <laughs> Welcome to Plant Talk, everybody. I'm this guy called himself the Red Baron. He was a giant dude. The Red Baron talking about plants. That's yes. a, that's a complete that I would not expect that name. On a station that played like harp music and stuff. Right. Yeah, that if the Red Baron, if I heard that that was the name of a radio host, I'd expect it to be a history channel special on <laughs> World War One. I. I know, right? And the guy was a big, huge guy that looked like he could have reasonably maybe got part-time work as a mall Santa. Oh my god. So, <laughs> so we get into the radio studio and I'm like six years old. And my grandmother sits me down and says, you have to be quiet because everybody's listening and can hear whatever's going in the microphones. So she seats me in the only place you can sit, which is behind the host in this small AM radio studio. And back in the days, you had to have a gigantic control board. Yeah. And he did. So it must have been, to my eyes, 800 different knobs. And he sits down and he had a really rich red barren voice. And he's like, good morning and welcome. And he's doing all these knobs. His hands are furiously moving. And he and my grandmother are talking. And they got done. And we got back in the car, and she goes, well, did you like that, dear? I was like, can everybody hear that? She goes, yeah, everybody. And when you're six, you think that means every single person everywhere listens. The whole world, yeah. The whole world. I was like, all right, that is it for me. I'm doing that. Yeah. I love that. And from then on, I would tape record little shows on my cassette recorder, and that was it. I wanted to do that. And as I grew up as a person, I loved good storytellers. So I thought, if I can learn to tell stories— and I can do this for a living. Like you could live like that. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's and I fantastic. I was lucky enough to do that. I want to just throw in here mm -hmm. too. The last time I was here, so we. This is my second time in your studio. For those of you listening right now, we're actually recording in Rick's studio on my podcasting setup, which they just nerded out over for the last like half an hour. Truly awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just changed a couple of uh, careers. Uh, so <laughs> the thing is that uh, he, when he mixes live, I saw him mixing live last time, and they were talking to people and they're talking to each other, and he's not just sitting in a room talking to a microphone with a couple of you know nerds in another room pushing all the buttons he's actually running the board hitting the sound effects drawing stuff up and it's it's i kind of wonder if like did you see that in in the red baron just sitting there working really hard because to me that's such an amazing skill set to be able to mix a show and perform you have to keep the thread going you have to keep the conversation alive you have to be snappy and on the jokes yeah how long did it take you to i, I, I know i'm jumping all over the place no but, it's fine how how long did it take you to get there? I mean, wh what was your first radio job, and were you were you mixing as you went? Well, it, here's what's funny. I'll give you a couple good stories along the way. They'll make you laugh. Please do. So, yes, I did see him moving all those knobs, and I thought that was part of the fascination. I wanted to touch the controls. When you're a young kid, you're like, right. yeah, I want to fly the plane. So I finally get a radio job, and you do have to do the controls. And when I first started in radio, there wasn't much computer automation. So everything was manual, turning up the song, hitting play. You had to actually hit play on a song, like, unlike a computer now that it's already done. Right. So 
Fast forward to I finally get my own radio job. I've kind of learned how to run the controls. It's kind of like dribbling a basketball. You need to be able to do it without looking. Yeah. So you got to know where all the knobs are and kind of have a feel for it. But I would also say it's kind of like driving a car. You can drive a car and have a full conversation without thinking about it. Yeah. So it takes time to develop a skill. And each person, I can tell by listening to a podcast or the radio what kind of skill they have based on when I hear a music bed come in or a sound effect or how loud is it. You really can judge someone's professionalism if you do this for a living. Yeah. So fast forward, I get my first morning show, and I think, man, this is going to be great. I'm on in Palm Springs, California. It's a small radio market, and we get sent a CD for NSYNC. They were a new band. This is way back when NSYNC is new. This is awesome. And people are going crazy, and I get a CD, and it's record companies used to send out Q&A CDs. Mm. And this was a Q&A with the boys of NSYNC. So they give you a cue sheet for the questions you should ask. Oh, no. And the track listing is the correlating answer. That's, That's amazing. Well, I, I, made it, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Because, well, only the small markets got that. You know, Los Angeles or yeah, New York. They had actual interviews. Interview yes. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and then that interview would be sent to you on a CD, and you got to ask right. questions. Like, so I get the CD, and I'm going for it. This is it. I'm going to lie. I'm going to do theater of the mind. For a week, I promote NSYNC is coming live on the Rick Morton Show NSYNC will be here Friday. We've got a bunch of questions. For, in fact, mail us, fax us. It was fax. Oh, fax yeah. us your questions, you know. So I'm ready to go. I'm nervous because I want to play this off because it's a CD. So after each question, I've got to kind of advance the track and wait for it to queue up to hit the next one. So I've got to kind of be like, oh, that's interesting. All right. Well, tell me about and read the question off the sheet. Yeah. So people have showed up in the parking lot because they think they might meet NSYNC. This oh is back gosh. when, like, there was no social totally. media, right? Totally. Yeah. So we've got moms and daughters. They've made signs. I have the blinds down on my studio oh, no. so you can't see. I'm like, coming up next. They'll be live in studio. The whole thing. I get live on the air like, ladies and gentlemen, big applause, everything. Welcome the boys of NSYNC. Guys, welcome. We're playing applause. It's right at that moment where I looked out of the side window of the studio and about 30 yards away. Now, I do a morning show by myself. Yeah. 30 yards away is on my desk the cue sheet I would need. Oh, <gasps> no. With the questions. Oh, my gosh. I didn't bring it with me. Oh, no. And now cold runs through my blood. like, And I'm thinking, how long can I let this music play where I run and go get it? Well, it's too long. It would take like two minutes to make it down to there. Oh, no. So I'm like, I, I, it's only 10 questions. I remember a few of them. I think the first one was about what's it like touring. Oh, no. Well, the first question wasn't what's it like touring. Oh, no. Oh, no. The first question was, hey, how's your mom? Does she still make home-cooked meals for you? What? So I said... <laughs> All right, we got what the guys from NSYNC here, right? Well, some interviewer in L.A. who, right. like, knew them, right? Right. So I, I queue it up, and I'm like, so uh, tell us, how's it been touring, you guys? Hit play. Oh, my mom, she makes the best meal. My mom makes oh my spaghetti gosh. that you would not believe, and I'm just sitting there so like, they sound, like, totally oh high. <laughs> like, they're totally ignoring you. I'm like, well, it must be the next question must be touring. Oh, that's great. But back to touring. Has the touring gone well? You know, it's funny. One of us has always wanted to record in L.A., like, oh my God. completely oh. blowing it. And yeah. now I'm just like, oh, my God, I don't even know what the next question is. Like, ah, interesting. Well, tell us more. I hit the next track. Oh, that's funny you asked that. Yeah, touring's <laughs> gone pretty good. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, ah. <laughs> so I'm panicking, realizing yeah. that nobody I'm is buying this. I'm panicking right now, and this is a yeah. story. Sweating. I think, what do I do? What do I do? Now, instead of being a seasoned radio guy going, well, it's been great having you. I know you guys got to run. Get out of there. Now I'm so embarrassed, and I'm an amateur, so I think I've got to explain what's happening. No. How can I do this? How can I do this? Oh, it's March. No. I'm thinking, okay, here's my genius idea. I'm going to say it's an early April Fool's prank on everyone, which is, trust me, going to make it way worse for all the moms sitting in their car uh -huh. with their daughters yeah, right yeah, now. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? I didn't think that far. I just wanted to get out. So I'm like... Uh, hey guys, just want to let you know. And then I play the, oh, this is just an early April Fool's. <laughs> uh, and now I'm by myself in studio, so it's not funny. Yeah. And now not, I'm like, not uh, funny at all. anyhow, I hope you liked it. And uh, April Fool's on you guys. But hey, good thing is you're not going to get an April Fool's on the first, but uh, they're not really here. And uh, all right. I'm oh, going to go cry no, now. That's so painful. And then I just start playing some NSYNC music, which makes it even worse, right? Yeah. But here's NSYNC. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wanted to quit. Parents like, were in the lobby screaming. Did my you, like, have to crawl out that day? Like, oh, to just get away from those people? I didn't even leave the station until, like, 2 p.m. Oh, no. 
I was just stayed in the back near the AM station, just kind of hanging out. My boss is laughing. He laughed at me. He's like, do you want me to go out back and throw the big red switch? We can shut this whole thing down. So <laughs> 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 he knew I'm an amateur room. Right. So, yeah. So I learned very quickly, pay attention to what you're doing. And ever since then, I've never had an episode like that where I, I had to fake it. That, I is a, it that is a lesson you will never forget. And Even then, to this day, I'm still a little bit sweaty right now. Like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, yep. that, that's that's terrifying. Well, and I, I imagine it's also giving you extra pause on any time that you're fictionalizing your uh, presentation. Anything. A little bit. Yeah, yep. it's like, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and make sure that this is buttoned down three times over. Yes. And, oh, my gosh. No, that's that's stressful just to hear about. Was that your first job in radio? So my first job in radio was I was an overnight guy for about six years. Yeah. And then. Um, you had a giant, like, boombox yes. car, didn't you, at some point? So here's what my day was, my first radio job. Yeah. I got paid minimum wage. They told me I couldn't earn overtime because I worked in three different departments full time, but different departments. So, so which oh. was just a lie, a scam. Yeah. So they have to pay me overtime. Terrible. And so I would get up in the morning, and from 10 a.m. until noon, I would drive this gigantic boombox, and it was horrifically embarrassing, because you know I'm in my like mid 20s. I yeah. don't want to drive a boombox anywhere, and I'm driving it to elementary schools and like bank sales and blood drives, like nothing cool, not Coachella. Doesn't just look like a boombox. Does it also play the radio as you're going? Yes. Oh my oh. gosh. Oh yes. Draws and attention. Great. Oh, in every way. It was 40 <laughs> feet long no. and 12 feet high. Wow. And it looked like a boombox. Wow. Mm. For those of you thinking in metric, that's like 11 meters long and three meters tall. That's crazy. Yes. That's nuts. And it was. Here's the worst part. It was like super heavy, and we were driving a truck with it. So if I was anywhere near a street that had water on it. In Palm Springs, there are a lot of streets with water because sprinklers run over. Yeah. And I barely tapped the brakes. It would slide like ice. <laughs> so I had to drive it like a grandmother. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to meet a girl driving this thing. <laughs> like, and I would drive to these remote locations, and the actual DJs that were the popular DJs on the station yeah. would show up, and I had to start the thing for them. It had a oh. generator in the back. I'd have to <laughs> pull start this generator. It was covered in grease, and we had to wear white station clothing. Oh, no. So it's no. 114 degrees. It's Palm Springs. I've got grease all over me, and I'm handing the mic to a guy whose job I really want Yep. and standing there like a rube, and they'd be like, where's Jimmy so-and-so? I'm like, oh, he's, he's over there. <laughs> and who are, who are you? Well, you might hear me. I'm on from 2 to 4 in the morning. You don't hear that? Oh, okay. Nah, nobody does. That's my dad. He's heard it. <laughs> I did that for years. And then I would, in the afternoon, I would run the knobs on an AM talk show where I played yeah. the commercials. So they'd be like, we'll be right back. I'd turn them down and play a commercial. That was it. And then 2 to 4 in the morning, I would go on and be on the radio. Wow. I did that for about five years. I wanted to do this business so bad. I had started in the radio station doing janitorial in the overnight and then yeah. worked my way up to boombox coordinator. I love the That's I awesome. love the title. <laughs> I know, right? I love that. When I got a morning show, my immediate boss wasn't crazy about me getting the big profile morning show. His yeah. boss forced him to give me that position, and I was finally going to get my business card. So here I am. I'm the new morning guy. I'm the premier dude in Palm Springs. I'm going to get my business cards. And what does it say on it when I get it? Boombox coordinator. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 I do the mornings now. He's like, yeah, but you still drive the boombox. So oh, it was just a little dig. Yeah. To this day, I still have one of those business cards. And whenever I start to feel like I really got it dialed in, yeah. I check out the boombox coordinator and be like, hey, humble yourself, man. <laughs> and it's a good lesson. You probably know this too, Jay. You've been doing media for a long time. Yeah. You can always get better. I still yeah. feel like I got a long ways to go. I haven't. I've just started. Do you feel like that? Oh yeah. Are you kidding? I look at I look at everything I make and I'm like, well, I'm I there there are moments where I'm definitely proud of what I do, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I'm always looking to like, how do I improve? What's next? Where do I grow? And I look at what I've made and I'm like, and I, I think I'm at a place now where I don't beat myself up over it. Like you know the whole idea of shitty first drafts, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's so there's just so much room. For, for growth and improvement. With your boombox coordinator position, did that, like, where was that transition then? Because you started doing a morning show while you were still driving the boombox, it yep. sounds like. When did it transition into being no, full-time, I'm a host? Like, what what, what did that look like? <laughs> the day the day I didn't have to drive the boombox anymore. Well, I mean, maybe, maybe you missed the boombox, but it doesn't sound like it, so. I'll give you this another good story, right? In Palm Springs, they have a giant mountain that has a tramway you can take up. You pay money, and it takes you up like a big cable car. Yeah. That road going up, it's fairly steep, and every year they run a 5K up this road. Mm. The guy that would host the 5K was a local businessman who was really annoying and loved his own voice and would never shut up, even in conversation. I would always pull the boombox up on the side of the road so he could use it as PA for the beginning of the race. Yeah. Now, our boombox had giant speakers on it, so he would walk up, hey, hey, here, you got the mic, got the mic? He'd grab the mic for me, walk about 
100 yards up the road. So he could hear that he was talking, but he couldn't hear what was saying. He would talk nonstop for two hours. All right, we got John here. John's going to do the race. All right, John, good to see you. All right, we're going to get the race going here in a little bit. It's that for two hours. But he would pause for about three or four seconds to catch a breath. Yeah. My general manager of the radio station, who was a good friend of mine, gave me the morning show job, would show up to this to be a good business guy. <laughs> but he had a good sense of humor. So I get inside the boom box, inside where nobody can see me, and I look at my general manager. I said, go outside and stand out there. I'm going to make you really laugh. He goes, okay. He stands out there. I go, this guy's so annoying. He goes, I know. He's so annoying. I said, just go outside. <laughs> Everybody lined up for the race is right beside the boom box, but the dude won't quit talking 100 yards away, so he doesn't know. Yeah. Every time he would pause, I turned on the mic I had, and I'm crouched down inside the boom box and would just do a loud snort like I'm like. I've got post-nasal drip. Oh. <laughs> She'd be like, all right, we've got John coming out this weekend. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good race. <laughs> oh no. Uh, so uh, we're looking for some, <laughs> and I, I barely peek up and everyone's kind of looking at each other. My general manager literally has tears running. He's <laughs> like, Oh my God. He's giving me the cut, cut. I <laughs> just drip back down. All right. It uh, looks like we're looking for good weather and uh, come on out. <laughs> and did it for about half an hour. My you boss kept, going, in, for kept going for half an hour. I would just keep doing <laughs> Like the guy had like some issue. He was so annoying. He completely didn't pay attention to it. Yeah. The people are just like, okay, something's up. Yeah. And he comes down and he goes, all right. And once the race starts, all right, on your marks, get set, go. <laughs> Everybody takes off. He comes down. Thanks, man. All right. We'll see you next year. Really flippant. Hands me the mic. And I looked at my boss. I said, I think this is going to be my last time with the boombox. He goes, yeah, I think you're right. It's time oh. your last time with the boombox. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and that was it. Leave it behind. That was it, yeah. Go He's, out with a and bang. still talks to it about it to this day. I was inside dying, too. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so funny. Because yeah. the guy was so annoying. Yeah, well, that's your, you get your dig in right there. Yeah. And then, then you can move on. And yep. it just ended on a high note for you, for, for you at least. He <laughs> has me. no idea. Yeah. And, and still had no clue. You think the guy would for a second be like, what's that noise what coming out? Happen? Nope. He nope. just was just going. Couldn't wait to tell us. Uh, setting a personal best last year. Uh, James Blonsky's here. Go. And uh, <laughs> was that was that difficult for you to like? And talking about these are the guys who have the job you want. Like yeah. they're they're the one taking the mic from you. They're the one that's going. And I mean the image that I have. I know that that's kind of part of the story. But like at the same time with this guy and probably with others, just fully taking for granted and what mm -hmm. they have. And it's the opposite of what we're talking about. They're kind of phoning it in. They they just show up. They do their thing. They're not paying attention. They just kind of put the mic down and they're like, all right, see you next time. Like checking out. Was that difficult for you to see Very. that? Yeah. Here's the most interesting part of that. I think maybe everybody should experience this in their life. There were two guys that were the morning show hosts. And when I was the overnight guy, they thought it would be fun to throw things at me as I walked out of the studio. So I would get the studio ready for them. I would, all the DJs all day would leave all their garbage and fast food boxes and everything in there. And I would clean it up because they required a clean studio when they showed up. So it was my job to clean it up. So I'd have to take the paper logs for the day and exchange them. And while I did that, they would take some of that garbage and try and hit me and make points because they thought it was funny. Right. And these guys were not funny guys. No, clearly. Right. You can tell the kind of guys they are. Right. And I always thought, boy, if I had a morning show, I would crush these guys, man. Well, lo and behold, the reason I got the morning show job is because they moved across the street. Uh -huh. And so did everybody else on the staff to another radio station. It was the new station in town. It was going to be hot. We wait two months and these guys sign on and they're not doing anything different. They're not fresh. They sound confused. Mm -hmm. They showed up last minute. So my boss, the general manager, says we should make Rick the morning guy. He's really funny. He's really quick. So I get the morning show job. Yeah. So here I am. Now's my shot. The two guys that used to throw stuff at me are my direct competition across town. Yeah. And within, gosh, I guess it would have been eight months, I destroyed them in the ratings so bad that I found out that they had both been fired without a bonus. Oh, wow. And it turns out they had signed these big contracts where they would make a ton of money as long as they stayed number one in the ratings, which they had been for about 17 years in Palm wow. Springs. They get fired eight months later, and you would think inside I would be like, ha, serves you right. And it's funny, and it's a big lesson in my life. The minute I heard that, all I thought was like, dang, they have kids. That yeah. sucks. Mm -hmm. I wish they hadn't have been fired. Yeah. And then later realized wait, that's what I wanted. I wanted to crush these losers and put it in their face. To this day, I've never found any satisfaction mm -hmm. in beating somebody like that because it yeah. means that their life has taken a negative turn. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know why. I do enjoy succeeding and being number one. I do that here in San Diego, but not at the expense of somebody else. No. and It shocked me. 
I think that's great, though. I think that for me, like, there came a point where I had to learn. I had to actively take a moment and remind myself that I, I wanted to be happy for other people's success. Yeah. I didn't want to win at the expense of others because that, yeah, that is, there's, there's something hollow in that where what, so what, what now? Like what? Okay. You did, but now they're, they're hurting for whatever reason. Yeah. It didn't materially and, change and your situation. It doesn't help you. Yeah. yeah. Because you are like you said, even if you're crushing them, you're, you're at number one, you're where you need to be. And having them across the street, not being great actually probably makes you look even better. Yeah. So them them getting fired and moving on, like not only does it hurt them, but it, it kind of in a way it hurts you. Like a rising tide lifts all boats. And, yep. you know, if boats around you start sinking, I don't know if that necessarily affects the tide, but it's a shitty metaphor so we can move on. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Like there's that level No, I think of, I get what you're saying is yeah. like, wait a minute, if you don't have real competition, then how good do you look? Totally. Yeah. Right? How good yeah. are you actually if yeah. you have no one to put yourself against? That's it. Like current, like if you're the Lakers and you go beat all the elementary school teams, exactly. well, good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You're the douchebags. Yeah. You're not actually good. Yep. You know, like, yeah. I'm curious about that because I've watched your videos. You know, before I came to Paris, the reason I was really looking forward to meeting you in Paris is because your personality came through your videos. And I thought, boy, of all these other travel people or whatever, we were watching a bunch of them. You're the guy that really connected people on a personal level. I thought this guy's telling his story mm -hmm. in Paris rather than telling me about the details of Paris, which I can look up. And it made me want to connect with you. Did you see other people doing their thing and feel like, man, I've got to beat them, or if they do well, then I'm not doing well? Or where, how did you feel about that? No, at that point, I don't think I felt like it was a zero sum game at all. Mm -hmm. I, I think that I think I would get frustrated at seeing the amount of work I was putting in and how slow things were. I mean, when I met you, I think I I don't know if you even had a thousand subscribers yet on YouTube, you know, and like uh, I was meeting people through conventions or in person or whatever that would sit down, turn the camera on for 20 minutes, talk about something that had been talked about a million times before, turn the camera off, put that together, upload it. And they had, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And it's hard because you don't want to, you don't want to shit on that. It is what it is and good for them. Again, like I hope that they're successful, but then the struggle really is okay. But like, I'm putting in, like, I'm filming for hours, and I'm editing for three, four hours at night. I'm doing it every day. I'm getting no sleep. I'm working three jobs, and nobody cares. And so then you have those moments where you're like, yeah, but it's, I think it's more like self-incriminating almost in a way, or I don't know if incriminating is the right word, but it's like you look at it, and you're like, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Because clearly, like, I must be doing something wrong if this isn't going anywhere. And so the struggle for me on that point I, I definitely understand, though, too, like seeing other people, there's that sense of like, I would do so much more with that if I had it, you know? Yes. And if I if only I had what they had, like, I don't want it at their expense, but you do feel a little jealous where you're like, if I had that, like, I would I would be killing it. It would solve problems. It's yeah. like a guy going, man, if that was my girlfriend, I would be taking her out to dinner every night. And this mm -hmm. guy makes her cook for him. He has no respect for how good he has it. Right. It's a crude analogy, but in a way, it's that feeling of, it's like, wow, you have no respect for how good you have it. And you're dumbing down the people who could be more entertained by something better. And I think that's what I'm doing. And it's a jealousy for those eyeballs because yeah. you have something better to offer and you know it. Yeah. And I think that's, I struggle with my internal, like, um, overly modest puritanical upbringing. I don't know. Like, I have a hard time being that confident and saying that what I have is better or what I'm doing is better. But I do feel that. And I believe that. And, like, that's the, the whole podcast that we're doing right now is also because, like, trying to find a way of carving out a space to build and to, you know, and both an audience, but also to build a future for the fiction that I want to do. And cause I have, I, I was just watching movies on the flight over here. Um, and they were with the exception of one, they were just Hollywood mediocrity where they just were cranking out another one in a series, or they're just making another thing where, you know, they're, they're taking their gamble and they're, they're throwing it up on the screen and seeing if it works or not. But you look at it and you're just like, man, if only I had my chance to tell one of my stories, if only I could do this, I would kill it. I would, you know, and that's just, there's a sense of obviously overconfidence and uh, a divorce from reality there. But that's also required to even try. Right. Like if you're yeah. going to if you're going to shoot to be the number one morning show host in San Diego, there's there are a lot of bodies along the way. You're going to pass a lot of people that also thought they could do it. And that, that ended up just dead in the desert somewhere along the way. So whatever it is that separates those of us who finally make it, I include myself in this, even though I'm not there yet, but for, that separates the people from making it from the ones that were uh, deluded. Who knows what that is at the end of the day? But thankfully, 
you had it. You know, it's interesting too. I found this out. There's two types of people that are successful in any creative endeavor. There's mm. the type of people who are insanely talented, pursue that and are rewarded for it, likely more in the long term eventually because the cream does rise to the top and it takes a long time. Yeah. There's the second tier of people who reach their maximum talent and realize it. And it's not very high level of talent. Yeah. And what they do is they're like, well, I can't paint any better than this. So I think what I'm going to do is paint this as fast as I can. And then I'm going to spend all my time promoting it everywhere I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's garbage, but I'm going to put it out there so much that I'll find an audience for it because they won't know what's good because they don't have enough time because I'm in front of them all the time. Yeah. And whether it's radio or vlogging, whatever you're doing, we all know people on the internet. So you're like, that's it? You're heating noodles every day? That's it? Yeah. And yeah, it takes them two minutes to heat noodles and then they spend eight hours promoting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes you a little bit more empty inside. Yeah. <laughs> but what I realized is... That the, you can fill that space with noodles. That's the good right. part. Yeah. Right. You're like, yes, right. <laughs> the little bit of cheese, it's okay. Yeah. What I realized is the most satisfying thing at the end of all of it is if you're sincere, more than being good, the sincerity is what people are dying for. They're dying for a connection. And that's why even people will now pay for YouTube channels, even though they could get more YouTube than they could ever watch in their life for free. Mm -hmm. Because what they want to do is they want to own a relationship because they're constantly in a digital device that they need a relationship there. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we, for radio and probably for you, it's probably what's made you popular is your sincerity. You're like, you know what? This may not be the best thing. I don't know if it is or not. I think it's good, but at least I'm sincere. And if I pay attention to my sincerity, you'll find your audience. And when you do, it's far more rewarding than that person with 100,000 views that knows that they're putting up garbage and cramming it down your throat every day. Yeah. And probably how you feel now. I take, I take solace in that. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm very, very, very fortunate to be where I am. And even if my audience is I'm not surprised small, by it. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I think when we sat down, I was trying to impart that to you like, hey, you may not, you're pretty humble right now, but you have what it takes because you have that sincerity mm-hmm. and your personality is going to come through and everyone is just dying for connection. Yeah, I, I appreciated that a lot. I can see that. And I think this is where I'm also, this is the interesting thing, right? Like I have that part that is so disconnected from the other where one is like, I am going to change the world. I'm going to make the best stuff, that tell the best stories. Like I'm going to genuinely do things that change the landscape of storytelling for the future. And then I have another part of my brain that's like, yeah, I'm okay, I guess, you know, like I make videos and they're fine. And so what I'm basically externalizing is I'm also trying to then take like, I, I see that, that part of, Part of me, that part that is, is suffers from a grand case of hubris, definitely agrees with you. Like, yeah, people are going to love me. And then there's a the part of me that's like, well, we'll see. We'll just kind of keep on trucking along. But I think that that's also it's a survival tactic, right? Through one of the things that I come back to and uh, what I want to do in the things that I want to build, nobody really pays you. There's no real entry-level job for a lot of it. Like, there are things you can do. There are some careers that are very exclusive and hard to get into to begin with. But it's not like... Uh, working your way up in, in a lot of careers, I feel like. I feel like you kind of have to fall into it somewhere along the way when people actually start paying you to do any of these things. And you just kind of one day are there. You one day are good enough. You one day are, you know, at the place you need to be before people do pay attention and do want to connect and do have that sense of wanting to be willing to, oh, yeah, I'll pay for this, even though I could get a lot of other things for free. So, yeah, I don't I just kind of went around a circle there, but I like, I really... This is something that I'm definitely thinking about a lot right now is like, how do you just keep pushing forward? I think that's what it is. And it's really not about, and anyone listening right now will tell you, they're probably still listening because they're looking for that connection. Like I realized with my show, I should be prepared. I'm better at preparing my content, but at the end of it all, I know I could come in tomorrow and tell a story about my life the day before that offers enough humanity in it that will make enough of a connection that will allow people to understand how that feels. And that feeling is the exchange we're looking for because it comes down to two things truly in any entertainment medium Mm. is does it make you feel anything? And does it convince you you're not alone? Yeah. Like all of our decisions really are based in whether or not we will be loved from the minute we're born, we are behaving in a way that will help us receive love. A man at 55 that buys a Ferrari truly is looking for approval, adulation, it's really a form of love. Mm -hmm. It's what it is. And everything gets traced down to that. And when you make a video of you driving around Paris, you're sharing it with people. Why do you care what they think? Because you're looking for that connection. You're going to get comments saying, 
I was there. I loved it. Oh, this is stupid. I don't care. You're feeling that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And it's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to feel something. And as we have a more digital world, there are so many silos where you want to make sure someone else is in the silo, right? Someone else watches this show. Yeah. There's so much entertainment now. When someone comes to you and says, oh, I love that show. It's so gratifying. You're like, oh, my God, it's not just me. Yeah. That's a new thing. Mm-hmm. We're desperate for connection. Desperate for connection. And that's why things are so polarized when it comes to politics. Mm-hmm. It's not that people want to take you down. It's that they want to be on the winning team. Yeah. And nobody can agree anymore because it's one of our last shared experiences where there's only one president, so everybody gets to have a side on it. Yeah. Um, and there's very few places that are like that. Any cultural events you see that are like that. I would imagine even in Paris, the death of Kobe Bryant was a, a shocking thing because he was so young. Yeah. We'll never see a picture of Kobe Bryant as an old man. Yeah. We'll never know. Yeah. He'll always be young in our memory. And that kind of shared experience makes people feel so much. And you want to go somewhere you can share your feeling and get someone else's feeling and compare to connect. Yeah. That's why you are always going to succeed, always will succeed, because you're not so much sharing information about Paris or in your storytelling. It's about connecting. Yeah. And you were good at that from the get-go. I think when we first sat down, I was like, Jay, you've got this. You're connecting with people. And you were authentically in person, the person I had seen on YouTube 30 times I couldn't wait to meet. And that was really nice, too, because sometimes that doesn't always happen. Yeah, it doesn't always pan out. I think that's, like, a big responsibility to both of you, though, is that, like, each of you in your careers provide connection directly with your consumer if you're doing it mm-hmm. right, if you're that right person. But then within that, you're building a community for those people to c- interconnect. Yeah. You know, so you're kind of just that, like, you're the king on top of the, you know, the kingdom or whatever, but the people are coming initially because they love you. And then beyond that, it's because it's because they're finding even more community with that and less aloneness and, and all of that. And that's kind of where you've, you've gotten up there. You may have heard Rick mention uh, my expertise in Paris. And if you are going to make a trip to Paris anytime soon, then go ahead and feel free to jump on over to my website, jswanson.me, and grab a copy of my guide to Paris. It's going to change your experience. At least that's what people keep telling me. We've sold a lot of copies of it. A lot of people have come back and said that it made their trip. It's got everything you need to know about where to stay, where not to stay, how to avoid pickpockets, how to avoid scams, and all of my recommendations, a whole bunch of them at least, over 200 recommendations broken down by a Rondi's Mod, so you can find your way through Paris, eat your way through Paris, photograph your way through Paris. Just love Paris. It sure made Rick's... I was going to take full credit for Rick's amazing honeymoon. I can't do that in an ad or anything else, but, you know, I'm sure he'd pump me. Anyways, back to our conversation with Rick Morton. There's, this is this is not where I intended this conversation to go originally. Mm-hmm. I was actually hoping that we'd find our way into Idaho at some point. Because <laughs> yeah, he really was like, Rick has a, a, Rick has a story. He lived in Idaho. And I was like, oh, all good okay. stories lead to Idaho because your, the path to San oh Diego gosh. was not directly south. Um, Idaho made me cry. <laughs> Idaho make, should make everyone yeah, Idaho cry. Make, either from the beauty of the nature or from other things. The bleakness of it as well. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you were in Southern you just Idaho, lost weren't a whole, you? You just yeah. lost three listeners. Come yeah, on. Sorry. Idaho is gorgeous. Hey, anybody who's been there knows it's gorgeous and bleak and brutal. It's all it the same. It is a brutal environment. I remember things. moving to Idaho from Southern California, and the most notable thing that hit me right away was when you watch the news and there were tragedies where people were injured, hurt, or died. It was in a much harsher way. That mm. It'd be like, somebody slid down the cliffs and broke a leg yesterday at the beach in San Diego. Right. Meanwhile... Six people were uh, ejected from the back of a truck after striking a deer. Right. <laughs> of I know. You're like, right. oh, my God, really? That's different. <laughs> like, the yeah. poor deer. Yeah. So-and-so yeah. was smashed by a giant volcanic rock on Highway 55. <laughs> and you're like, what? Well, yeah. That would never it's the wild happen. wild west out there. It, it is. Nature yeah. is coming for you. Yeah. Two hunters deeply shot each other. Yeah. What's that? I've hit a deer with a car. Did you really? Yeah. I hit a what deer with my, with, oh, my with my Honda, Honda Accord. Yeah, yeah. How bad Honda was thing. it? It wasn't that bad. I just clipped it. I mean, I felt bad for the deer and it was scary. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You go up there <laughs> and people have stories like this. You don't have stories like I hit a deer out here in California. <laughs> well, like, not oh. especially not here. Oh, it's in San Diego. It gives me you a lot of comfort, actually. It does, Driving at night, I'm like, I'm not like on high alert all the time at most at the most you might hit a rabbit and that's if you're out in the county right it's not happening right. in the city no no you <laughs> might hit a pedestrian but they they yeah, just get up and keep walking up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're fine nobody's driving that fast it's slow traffic everywhere oh, yeah. yeah 
<laughs> it, but it's true. I found that remarkable that like uh, three men were indicted after their grandmother had been locked in a yes. trunk all night. And you're like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have news stories like this in California. Yeah. Everything was much harder. So how did you get there? So I mean, besides mode of transportation, why were you there? It's another lesson to me. So I worked very hard. I left Palm Springs Radio, made it to San Diego, and joined a morning show that in San Diego had been very popular. The two main hosts were making millions of dollars a year. Wow. Everybody of the seven-person ensemble that worked on that show made a ton of money, including myself. And I did what any young guy making a lot of money would do. I bought a ton of cars. I bought several homes. And I thought I was immune to any kind of consequence. So yeah. I, would, I would drink and drive. Oh gosh. Uh, right. Yeah. I think about that now and think what a reckless piece of garbage I was for being yeah. that. I was a complete retrobate. I had no regard for people's feelings yeah. and I was completely self-indulgent because I had felt like, well, at this point I've, I've earned this and you know what? I'm so talented and I'm so popular. I'm beyond any kind of consequence because a lot of things I did were handled or taken care of me because I was generating the company a lot of money. And all of a sudden, one day in October, the company came to me and said, oh, we've made a decision to go a different direction, and so you're out of a job. Wow. Like out of the blue, for no reason. The, my ratings were good. The show was doing well, all of that. So for a year, I lived amongst my three homes, remodeling one of them as a hobby, spending money like, that. Ah, I'm good, man. I'm going to get a big job. Well, that money started running out, and the recession hit, <laughs> and I had to get a job. So I started really looking really hard, and it turns out, not that many people wanted an entitled, overpaid, smart aleck guy who thought he had all the answers. Yeah. And so I took a job in Idaho thinking, well, Idaho is pretty. I lived in the Northwest when I was young. I could do this. And I got up there. The woman I had been with for 15 years, the week we got there, said, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. And we had sold two of the three homes we owned. Oh my gosh. She went back to live in the home that we owned together and said, come with me. I said, I, I can't. I got a job here. Yeah. And so she was gone. So that 15-year episode ended. Wow. I had sold all my cars. I'd sold everything. So I had an old pickup truck with a heater that didn't work. <laughs> and I would drive to work in Idaho where the radio station was on the outskirts of town. Yeah. I was making less than 10% of my former salary. Ooh. Wow. So I had upper six-figure salary before, and now I was making $40,000 a year. So and lifestyle change in a number of ways, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Barely got out of my house for what it was worth. Yeah. And so now- Well, because after the recession, you're selling houses after a housing market crash. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. I made $2,500 and split it with my significant other. Oh, my goodness. So that's I got twelve fifty wow. off the house. Right. Oh, that's wow. painful. And owed a lot of money in taxes because I'd bought a lot of stuff. So I had to wipe out my savings. So I had nothing. I remember the third month I was in Idaho, before my show, I was at a coin star with one of those like water mm -hmm. jug bottles, yep. trying to empty it into a coin star to get enough money for gas for the week. And I thought, wow. okay, if I call into work sick on Friday, I'll have enough gas till Monday on payday to get money to get back. I had no family. I had no friends. I knew nobody. Jeez. I'd get off the air. I would go home and just sit in my house. I had no money to go anywhere to do anything, so I'd just watch TV. And by the way, the only heater that worked in that rental house was my bedroom, a baseboard heater. So the rest of my house was like 13 it's, degrees. Yeah, it's cold in Idaho. You know. <laughs> it's right? cold. It's winter. It's cold. I'm all of a sudden single, and I would cry on my way to work because I was so sad at what I had done to myself. It was yeah. my fault. I had no way to get out of it, and there were no jobs available. So I had to go to this radio station. And How long had you been in radio at that point? It would have been 20 years. Okay. So yeah. you're, you were like 20 years into your career and just And a dead-end job bottom. working for a radio station where the husband ran the station and the wife was the mm -hmm. promotions lady and the 19-year-old son was the sales manager, mm -hmm. no future. The husband and wife would get marital spats during our meetings, promotions oh. meetings, and the whole staff would sit there and look down while they had arguments. <laughs> They'd be arguing over the chapstick budget for, that was our giveaways, were chapsticks. Oh. Yeah. Well, when it's that cold and that dry. <laughs> well, <laughs> to be fair. I don't, I don't actually have that as a line <laughs> item on my budget, but maybe I should. <laughs> I just remember sitting there thinking, what did I do? How did I get to this point? And yeah. I was super humbled. I remember one day, I'm in Idaho, and I'm looking out the window, and there's a woman in a snowy field, because our radio station is in the middle of beet fields, and she was rehabbing a goat. So she's walking a goat through the snow, and I thought, man, I used to go to the beach after I got off the air. Like, what happened here? I really did it to myself. And How long were you in Idaho? Four years. Mm. And eventually got a job back in San Diego after humbling myself and applying myself. And the good thing was... I went from doing a big, fancy radio show where we had limos all the time. We would take helicopters to go to stuff, like really fancy. Yeah, no kidding. To 
you know, worse than boombox. Station without even a boombox. Yeah. And here I am looking out the window and I'm lonely and I thought, well, I've got to apply myself and I've got to start over and make something of myself. And I went and got some counseling and had someone say, hey, you need to quit thinking about yourself so much and really just get back to work. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. The yeah. best thing ever. I made really great friendships with some people that to this day have helped my career. Those friendships remain. In a couple weeks, I'm flying back up to Idaho to MC a charity event for 2,000 people. Yeah. So it's been incredibly enriching. And to anybody who's a creative person, I definitely say no matter how good you're doing, you have so much further to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think about yourself when you first started making videos? Can you go back and watch those? You're like, vlog a day number three. Sometimes I actually have watched a few of them. Yeah. What do you think? Part of you go, that wasn't that bad. And the other part's they're, like, They're Ooh. rough for a couple of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> no, you would say that even. Yes. I'm just curious now to hear your follow-up commentary. No, just, I mean, like, just where you were at in life was, you, uh. were, you started from, well, you started from a place of a lot of hope. And then yeah. quickly watched all that fall apart. Well, it was desperation. And so hope. it was desperation hope. You were you were grabbing your final straws. Well, I appreciate too what something that you just said about just for, stop thinking about yourself so much and just yeah. get back to work is something that I needed to hear right now, which is really helpful. But also, yeah, I mean, like I go back and I look at those and I think, yeah, like there I had I obviously had a long ways to go, but I'm also proud of like the fact that I just made videos with a phone. Just showed up and just did it. And mm -hmm. you just made it. You just started and you just showed up. Just did it. And it yeah. wasn't good. No. Always. It wasn't great. No. Well, but you, you, but you got into that habit and you just were consistent and you kept growing, which was the most important thing I think you could have done at that time. That's yeah. a most well put thing you said, because that's it, right? Yep. The more you do it, the better you do it. Just like anything driving. Yep. And so you must do it bad to do it good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. And it was, I mean, it's interesting to look back and think like six minutes was basically my limit and not because I couldn't make longer videos, but because they got less interesting after six minutes. <laughs> and, you know, like, how, and I would get that feedback from my dad and from my buddy Slush. Like there were a couple of people that they were like, yeah, yeah, don't, don't go to seven minutes. Don't, yeah, that was, that was a nice try at nine minutes, but maybe go back to six. That's like a hard place to get, receive feedback when you're already creating kind of crappy content. Right. To have people then criticize, like, okay, but maybe keep it to this limit, or maybe try this different, you know, yeah. and you're already really vulnerable about it. Yeah. yeah, well, it was tough. It was tough, but then it's it's kind of cool because then later when I started pushing it and getting up to the 10-minute mark more or whatever, and just whatever, they, they, that was good signs of growth that nobody else saw, I feel like, where nobody complained. Um, people enjoyed it. People, Those people that were very honest and very much like, yeah, no, they may not have even realized that the videos were getting longer. And so I was able to push those bounds over time and to learn and to grow and to get to a place where I could make a video that was 20 minutes long. And yeah, not everybody's in for a 20 minute video because it's YouTube, but as the format changes and people do go for longer stuff, it's really cool to see like, oh yeah, like people stuck around for this. You have a rhythm you develop and you're like, oh, you have a sense like, okay, my rhythm is telling me this is too long. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Or like, it, can always, this or, yeah. it could always be worse. You could always be trying to interview sync. Just that's, remember. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very, true. very true. That's true. That's very, very true. If you're coming into this podcast late, go back to the first five minutes. It'll <laughs> right. all make sense. It'll all make sense. <laughs> yeah. We're all tying it together. So then you got, you you did. And I, well, and one of the things in that story too, especially as you set it up, is very much, it sounds like you needed that time in Idaho. Because oh, the, yeah. the person you are today that I know is not at all that person that used to ride around in limos and, and you know, right. take life for granted. I feel like you really have your head on straight. And it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't frozen a little bit in the, the great the great white Northwest, yeah. I'm shocked that I indulged myself so much at a time when I had just started doing so well. And yeah. it's it's such a funny tale because you see it, so many other people do that. Yeah. And I was doing the same thing. And I look back and go, oh, if you had just spent that money doing this or this time or you'd done that, you didn't need seven cars. At one point in time, I had seven cars. That's insane. And three of them were trucks. Like, what do I need three trucks for? <laughs> yeah. To tow trucks to tow trucks? That, like, that, this one, is stupid. that one thing feels a little ridiculous. It's three so trucks stupid. Is I was too like, much. <laughs> so I think about that. And I, I reflect on that a lot. It's one, yeah. of the, uh, one of the nice things that experience does to you. It lets you sit in a place where you can make judgment calls so much faster because yeah. you've had the negatives. Mm -hmm. And it's the hard thing is now that I have a daughter figuring out how to translate that to her because yeah. she doesn't want to hear what I have to say about that. No. But the fact is, even you looking back on your experience of the highs and lows of deciding I'm going to go, you really went for it. I'm going to a foreign country. I'm going to, I love it here. I'm going to live here. I'm yeah. going to uproot myself from Eastern Washington. This is my future. I mean, you traveled a lot on ships and, and yep. so you knew, but the fact is you get to Paris and you're like, this is it. This is my home. And despite the challenges it's going to give me, and you've had some real challenges, mm. you've thrived. I think it's 
an interesting place to be where things have started to pick up, but then it's also, I've given everything I could give to get to that point. And so then what do I have left to give is that kind of question. So that's also why it's kind of cool to hear like the, for me, I've been going through a lot of changes and identity shifts and so I just made a video about that the other day as far as like, you know, going from not making a video every day. That was not only was that a massive lifestyle change, but it was an identity change and then cut my income significantly. And then, you know, had some changes that were made because of that and relationship changes and all kinds of things. And so I'm just in this I'm just kind of like letting I feel like I'm just standing there letting it all wash over me for now and waiting to see where it settles. And then exactly what I need to do is just focus on the work and get back to it and stop thinking about it as much. Yep. On the one hand, it's good to go to therapy and to talk it through and to really, you know, process all of it. But then on the other hand, just being like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to knuckle down and do what I love doing and see where that takes me yeah. is, is very, very valuable. I went through that therapy and said, I said to the guy, I'm not having the kind of relationships I want in my life. Yeah. And I used to, so I think that the tools I use to develop relationships have dulled, and I'd like you to give me a new set of tools that I can use. And yeah. he goes, the first thing is you got to get over yourself. you got to quit thinking about yourself. This None of this is about you, and very few people are thinking about you as much as you think. Yep. And quite honestly, that's fine. You should be developing a more a, a better thought about that. You know, when I was in that radio station, when I first started out, I thought, well, I'll never have a job in a bigger city, but I made it to San Diego. Yeah. When I got back to Idaho, I thought, how'd I get here? I guess I'll never be back. I guess I never was any good, and I just faked my way through it. Yeah. But now I'm back here with a much better set of tools where my confidence is, oh, no, here's the parts that were true, yeah. and here's the parts about me that are I lied to myself about, and it makes you feel a lot more comfortable because you're like, oh, okay, well, here are my real faults. I can live with those. And yeah. as a creator, and I don't know if you've reached this point yet, but you reach a point when you realize what your true flaws are, when you receive criticism that don't match your true flaws, it becomes more amusing than it does upsetting because early on it's upsetting because you're not sure if they're telling the truth or you know they're lying and you want to put them in their place. Now I'm just like, ah, uh, you don't know me. Yeah. And I just laugh it off, yeah. you know? That's... You're a horrible father. Your daughter's going to grow up to be a stripper. I get comments like that on my social oh media. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, oh, you don't know me. That's I did just happen. I posted. I posted. Uh, I, I take screenshots of comments on YouTube and post them to Instagram sometimes because they they disappear on stories. Yeah, <laughs> but they. One of them was the, you. You look like a bum, and your manners are. And then a puke emoji. And uh, <laughs> I, I just like I didn't even notice that one because I was too busy with the one above it that was <laughs> also hilarious. Where the guy was complaining about the video, basically based. He's like. This video is all about you you going around in Paris and, and eating, and it was boring, whatever. And I was like, what did you expect? That's exactly what the title said. Like, Not yeah. the boring part, but yeah. No, Watch that, this boring video. That needs to be a title of one of your videos and see you how many views you get. look back at your time in Idaho? Because in a weird way, it's because it's your experience that mm -hmm. I find your time in Idaho comforting, personally. Yeah. I look at that, I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I could live there for a minute. Like, let's both, you take a step back and you appreciate, like, playing in the shadows, you know, going back to a place where you can hone your craft develop, do something that you love and, and reduce the pressure, even if the, the lifestyle changes are dramatic. For you, does it feel that way? Do you look back at it in a positive light now? Or does it still bring back like that twinge of like, ah, like, ah, man? Well, I'll tell you, I felt like I did it to myself. And so what, what it does is if you've ever been using a hammer and look away and you hit your thumb, it yeah. feels like that. Like the pain comes back, not from what happened, yeah. but because you weren't paying attention. Yeah. So that part, it does. It's like, don't be stupid again. That yeah. was your fault. The part that's enriching is twofold. One, I didn't realize how much my relationships in my life meant to me and the relationships that have lasted from that. I didn't realize how deep and, and fruitful they were. And so I really enjoy that. So looking back on Idaho, I can't imagine not having those friendships. So it was good. The other part of it is this, and this is true of anybody who's a creator on any level right now, what skill set you're developing right now through the adversity you're experiencing, whether it's from editing to getting a guest to even thinking of what to say, you're developing a skill set you won't realize until later. And so those skills that I was developing while I was in Idaho, I could not see. And looking back on it, I look back and go, wow, how fortunate I was to be forced into a situation where I developed skills that now I use all the time. Yeah. And that skill set is what I'm grateful for. I would never want to go through that again. The overall feeling I have of, of having been alone in Idaho is um, it reminds me of a gray, cold day. Yeah, it does. But I look back and go, wow, there are things I can do. Like you said, I developed an ability to search things on the Internet and play them while I was talking on the air because I didn't have a co-host or a producer. Yeah. 
something I can do now during the show. So if someone brings up something I think it would be funny to play music to while I'm talking to them and still doing the show, I can search it, pull the YouTube video up, scroll through the skip ad, get to the point I need, and then play the hook I need of that song, which will make the whole bit funny. Yeah, I'd never had that skill before because I was never forced to do that. Yeah. So it wasn't stuck on my own. You don't know, but every day you're developing a skill set that three or four years from now will surface. And so you, you have to just be in it. Like you said, Karn, you have to be just doing it and doing it because that's developing your skill set. And so when I look back on Idaho, I think, man, I was fortunate to be stuck in that situation. Had I known it would turn out so good, I would have enjoyed it so much more. So maybe that's the other lesson. Yeah. You don't know where it's going to go, so enjoy it. Might as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're stuck there. You're, you're stuck. You, you might as well. You're in your present. Right. You might as yep. well enjoy it for I what it is. I think that feeling accelerates mm. success when you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, man, but I'm going to have a good time. People smell that a mile away. And I think yeah. even some days now when things aren't going right here, I'm like, well, I don't know where this is going. It's not good, but I'm having fun. <laughs> really translates. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that actually is really, that's just, it's just, a, it's encouraging and a good reminder to hear from me as well. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm in a place where, you know, and people that watch my vlog would, would get their flavor of it and so forth, but it is, it's a, it's a, one of those moments where I want to stop and really appreciate everything I have. And part of it's just coming out of burnout and all that other stuff that I just didn't feel much for a long time, but like regularly reminding myself and pointing out to myself, like you live where you want to live. You do what you want to do. You have great friends. You, you know, have like, I have so much. And so that's partially like just kind of overcoming depression basically, but like just starting to feel that again. And those moments where I feel it are such gifts that I try to dwell in them. Yeah. I had this thing where um, we mentioned this on the podcast in one of our first episodes, but I was fortunate enough to be asked to do an ad with Air France and they reached out to me and pulled me in and they, you know, they paid me, they gave me tickets and they were great. I got the full professional treatment. I felt like, you know, a star for a couple of days. Yeah. And normally what I would do is I would just be like, yeah, it's cool. And just like be there and do my thing, but be focused on whatever's next. And so I forced myself, as soon as I got the email, I said, I'm not telling anyone about this uh, until it's happening. And I'm just going to sit and feel cool. Like, just it's as cheesy as that sounds and as live like, in the moment right just enjoy it in that moment where because normally i'd be too self-conscious and i'd be like no this isn't you know blah 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 like shut that down like you're not cool blah but i was like no i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna just imagine that i am cool and that this makes me cool and that i'm just gonna like live in this feeling because it's gonna be gone as soon as the experience is over i'm never gonna have that opportunity again and if i don't live in this moment right now and really appreciate it and enjoy the fact that air france whoever is representing them found me reached out to me, signed me onto this thing is such a cool thing. That's so crazy that years ago I would have died for like, I need to live in that now. That's a thing you do need to detach and put yourself back where you started. Yeah. There were times I would be doing stuff on the radio where I couldn't believe I had access to like go to the Oval Office in the White House or be backstage for a Coldplay concert and be standing there, you know, going, there's no way I would have ever dreamed this would be my yeah. life. How did this happen? Well, I know because there's a lot of stuff, but I need to go back to the guy driving the boombox going, hey, remember this? Had I been able to see all of that, I would have enjoyed it so much more. And here's a misconception that a lot of creatives have, anybody who creates, that they go through uh, depressions. It, it's not a depression. It is your, your subconscious is resetting you to make sure that you don't become lazy. And so that depression is a heaviness where you're going, am I doing the right thing? Is this, am I going the right way? And what you end up doing is you're overwhelming yourself. It's all kind of like the way you dream. You dream to clean everything out. When you go in those depressive states, it's you going, okay, wait a minute. Am I on track? Is this the right thing? It's you cleaning out the parts that don't really fit. Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's a heavy thing because you have to redefine where you are and who you are at that point. Yeah. But really it's a construction phase and you kind of need to look at like, hey, this is going to be blue. I'm going to feel this way for a couple months. None of it feels comfortable. I don't even know if what I'm doing is going anywhere. It's, what you're really doing is going, wait a minute, let's clean everything out and get back to basics. Yeah. It's construction. It's good. It's the most, the best thing out of it is the minute you're in that depression, which is what it feels like, you know you're going to come out with something better because now you're resetting. That's really that good. Resonates 100%. Yeah, that's really good. Rick, that's a fantastic note to end on. Thank you Perfect. so much for hanging out. I got to get back to Idaho. Yeah, get back to Idaho. I got to walk a goat. Rick, where, where, where would the people find you if they wanted to find you and stalk you on the internet? You know what? If you want to, you'll be very entertained if you follow us at Hey Morton, H E Y M O R T O N on Instagram. Yep. 
that's a place. Follow me there. Hey, Morton. Um, we post stuff all the time. We just took a $250 car we bought off Craigslist and smashed it with a monster truck for fun. <laughs> that's the kind of life that we all should be living right, right. there. <laughs> You'll sure, love it. Be sure to follow Rick. There's a lot of big things coming. He's He may be the biggest dog in town, but there's still bigger bigger uh, fish to fry. He's got, I'm excited to hear what happens next with him, too. So Thanks. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take that conversation offline because I have a feeling that there are secrets to be told. <laughs> but in the meantime, definitely go give him a follow. Thanks again to Rick for joining us, and thanks to yeah. Karn for joining us as well. It was a lot of fun. Hey, before you totally say goodbye, one last thing. <laughs> it has been incredibly enriching having a relationship with you that has lasted this long. Yeah. Anybody who spends time with you is going to feel that way. So thank you for that, and I'm grateful for it. Rick, thank you. Well, it goes it goes both ways because this this conversation, and, and I can't wait to go have lunch because it's going to get even soppier, but yeah. I'm on a path, and you've helped to advanced me down that path a little bit today. So thank you very much for your yeah, conversation. You bet. Appreciate it. Today's podcast was made possible by our gregarious patrons whose contributions directly impact our work here as well as the future of all our collective projects. They are the best. And so far, all of them are super patrons, patrons of both me personally and the Dread Gods separately. They are Susan French, Dixie Rose, Karen Bates, David Guy, Kevin, Jane Baker, Figure 73, Steve, and Mystery Man. Building the Oracle is mixed and produced by Zach Egan, co-hosted by Richard Bilkey, mascotted proudly by his four-legged friend Gustav, and is written and co-hosted by yours truly. Our theme music is Glory and our ad music is Light, both by David Cutter, who you can also find and support directly on Patreon. And our newsletter is assembled with love by our own Kate Weber. Don't forget, you can support us at patreon.com slash dreadgods whenever that itch grows too strong to resist. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review Building the Oracle on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts, or Gustav will subscribe you to his Indiegogo updates. Gustav, I love you. You're a good dog, but that Indiegogo gadget's never coming out. My name is Jay Swanson, and thank you again for listening. Tune back in on March 15th for our next guest, author and publishing guru, Mike Underwood. Until then, keep making rad shit. <laughs>